When it comes to uh, passages from the Sermon on the Mount, this is another one of those that we're very familiar with. A couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, Matthew 6.33, uh, that, that most of us are, are very familiar with. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Well, that's a song that we sing, and if you go to verse 2, that leads us to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Uh, and then verse 3 later on is Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone. But this is one we're really familiar with. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For, for whoever asks, for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, uh, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. I've had a... I've had a lot of trouble theologically with this passage because I feel like many of the words of Jesus kind of get taken out of context and skewed around and we're left with something that, you know, appeals to us for where we are, but maybe it wasn't what Jesus really intended. And so I, I did quite a bit more studying on this one, trying to see if I could gain some insight. What, what does this really mean? And, and you know, as usual, yeah, I was thinking, okay, what, what Greek words can we come up that's going to give us a better understanding? And, and what are these commentaries written by these doctors? How are they going to help me as, as I try to understand and then share what, what hopefully I understand about this passage? And so I, you know, kind of had everything lined out and that changed quite a bit this morning. So I'll, I'm going to do an audible. We, we made it to the line. We were in the huddle. I knew what we were going to talk about and then... Something happened, and so I want to change just a little bit and ask that you bear with me as I tell you the story of a good friend of mine. His name is Kirk. Kirk grew up in a church like uh, most of us. His father was uh, a leader, and if they were faithful attenders, uh, and he was a good young man through high school, but somewhere along the way, right about college, he had some options and some opportunities to take, and he chose some different roads one of them which led him uh, into uh, drug abuse. Uh, and for the next several years, it was an up and down battle of fighting this addiction. Uh, he got things a little bit back together and came back home and was working uh, with his, uh, his dad who, who owns a, a company and things were going well. And he found himself struggling once again. And even though on the outside things had gotten well, he had fallen into this trap of these very heavy and addictive drugs. And he says he recalls that time in his life where he had literally hit rock bottom. He was about to be evicted from the house that he had saved up uh, to buy as things were going well. He was now living in that house, freezing. They had already cut off the electricity and the water. And he said to him, the only thing that mattered was that needle that he had in his hand. And he said, I can remember thinking, 
about how bad I wanted what was inside there and how desperately I wanted to put that in my veins, but knowing that that was the last hit that I had. I didn't know what would happen next. Uh, And he says he remembers hearing a knock at the door. And he says, I don't know why I went to answer the door, because at that time I had cut off communication with everyone, including my family. And he said, I don't know what I was thinking, but I opened up the door, and there stood two police officers. And he thought, what have I done wrong? I'm in my own house. Nobody could have known this. What he would later find out is that his father went to this small town judge and said, listen, my son's in big trouble and he's about to lose his life if something doesn't change. Will you please go arrest my son? His dad turned him in. And so the police officers took him and they escorted him to the jailhouse. And while he was waiting there in jail, they said, we're going to give you a couple options. Here's what you can do. We, we can take you and try you for all these drug charges that we have. And, and you'll spend a good bit of time in jail or you can go to a rehab facility. This wasn't his first time, his second time or his third time. Uh, He'd been to multiple rehab facilities, so he knew what the routine was. And this is some new one. It was based on faith. And and his thought was, well, you know what? If I'm in prison, I'm stuck there. You know, at least if I end up in a rehab facility, I can get out. It'll be a lot easier. And so he took the easy way out, and they loaded him up and headed him, shipped him off to Midland where he uh, was uh, enrolled in Teen Challenge. And over the course of the next several months, he learned that it wasn't about drugs, it wasn't about himself, it was really about a God who loved him. And Kirk went through the entire year program at Teen Challenge and remained there. After he had graduated, he began working there. And I'm telling you, for those of you who are like me, who grew up in church and maybe you flirted with disaster and had some, a little bit of difficult times, maybe you, you walked towards, you know, that, that land that the prodigal son found himself in, but maybe didn't hang out there too long. You read and hear stories of Kirk as they talk about this devastating time in their life that wasn't a bad choice or a weekend. It wasn't like he pitched his tent there in the foreign land. He built a house and just lived that way until he had squandered everything and had nothing. And for, for him to talk about what Jesus meant to him was so powerful. Because he was just at the very end. That happened, I don't know, I've known Kurt for I guess six or seven years. So it happened, he got out about a year out of Teen Challenge. He left there and came back and, I mean, God just showered him with blessings. He got married. Um, I was there when little Micah, his his daughter was born. I tell you, um, 
Kirk is a special, special individual. In fact, I, I had an opportunity every Wednesday morning at 6 in the morning, me and about six other guys would meet, and we'd have just a real in-depth Bible study. And we became like brothers, and Kirk was one of those guys. And when I was going through some difficult times, I don't know that there were very many people that were there for me more than Kirk was. Uh, and I, I think about ask and seek and knock, and I think... <laughs> What are the things that we ask for from God? And, and I think, as he admitted, what are some things that he wanted, even from God, while he was in that deep, dark time? And what would happen if God had granted all the things that he wanted? I tell you a little bit about Kirk because I got a text this morning. I just texted him yesterday. He was a bike rider. We rode bikes together and... He was in a bike ride in Sweetwater, and so we were kind of texting back and forth towards each other and giving each other a hard time. Well, I got a text this morning. Jennifer was trying to get a hold of me. Um, Kirk is my age, uh, and they initially, uh, he wasn't feeling very good, and um, his wife went into him this morning, and um, he was unresponsive, Uh, and and thankfully, she's a nurse, uh, and she called a, a doctor, a very good friend, and and they began administering CPR because Kirk, a 30-something-year-old guy, was what they thought was suffering from a major heart attack. And we were in the elders' meeting, and I got, it, it somehow ended up on a Facebook post, and I don't know how those things work, but once somebody posts, if somebody else does, it comes back. And so my phone just kept buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. People just saying, we're praying for Kirk. We're praying for Kirk. We're praying for Kirk. And all I could think about was this passage. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And I thought, what does that really mean? What does that really mean that when, when Jesus says, if you ask for it, I'm going to give it to you. Is that how it really works? How many of you believe that that's how it really works? That if you ask, you're going to get it. And if you raise your hand, I'm going to be nice about it, but I'm going to say this, prove it. I want you to show me where everything that you ask for, you get. So what does this mean about when Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you? Haven't you been in that dark moment in despair? As Henry Nouwen calls it, the dark night of the soul. What happens when you ask for something? Have you ever lost somebody that you loved? Before they died, did you not pray to God, God, will you just... Will you just heal them? What does it mean when we ask for those things, but it doesn't happen? It reminds me of a movie that I hate to reference on a Sunday morning, but I'm going to anyway. Just over 10 years ago, in 2002, there was a movie made. It was called Bruce Almighty. Some of you may be familiar with it. It uh, has a great message. It's at best cheesy, and at worst, at moments, it almost seems a little sacrilegious. But the premise of the movie is this. 
Jim Carrey, who is Bruce in the movie, goes through a difficult time in his life and at one point cries out to God and basically says, God, you're doing a bad job because look at all the turmoil that's going on in the world. If I ran the world, everything would be better. And you can say, well, that's a horrible thing to say, but some of you, if you haven't uttered those words, you've thought those. God, I have a better way of doing this. Let me tell you what it is. And so he does this, and of course it wouldn't be a movie if, if it didn't happen. And so God comes down to him and says, okay, I'm, I'm giving you the reins. You take control. About an hour into the movie, after he now realizes that he has these powers, but there also come some responsibilities, and he has to answer all the prayers. And so um, he, he tries to figure out how he can properly do that. And there's so many prayers that at first they're, they're being spoken and he can hear them in his head. Thousands of prayers being said at once. And he says, this is driving me crazy. I've got to find some better way to do this. And he says, well, how about file cabinets? Why don't, why don't I just make files for all the prayers? And so he's standing in his living room and he says, that's it. And all of a sudden you see all these file cabinets just drop down into his room. And he kind of looks around and says, you know what, I don't. I don't know if this is going to work. This will take forever. I've got to open these up. And he says, I got it. Post-it notes. And for those of you who've seen the movie, you remember this because this was just a fascinating scene. And I don't know how they did it, but they had literally millions of post-it notes. The, the file cabinets disappeared and these post-it notes just started flying. And him, his furniture, and the dog are covered in post-it notes with all these prayer requests on them. And he says, this isn't going to do either. He says, I need something that I can do it quickly. I can check it and it has a password. He says, ah. And the next thing you know, you have him sitting uh, at the computer and downloading, you know, is 1.5 million prayer requests. And so he begins typing away at it, typing away at it, typing away at it. And, and, and because he's been given this uh, a divine powers, he types fast and he answers all 1.5 million. And he goes... Well, at least I have that done. And then all of a sudden, they download new prayers. And there's three million brand new prayers. And he says, what am I going to do now? He goes, this will take all my time and my energy. I'll waste too much time answering prayers. So what am I going to do? So he clicks reply to all and says yes. And by the way, because he has these powers, when people pray to him, they're given whatever he says. And so... He says, he says, now everyone will be happy. That's what he says. So it seems like a good idea, right? I mean, he, he was able to answer all those prayer requests. And then we have him the next day. He's, he's walking around and he starts to see the, the consequences of every prayer being answered yes. In fact, I remember one in particular. A woman walks by and she's talking with a friend and the friend says, Wow, you look great. And she says, Yes, I've just lost 28 pounds on the Krispy Kreme diet. (laughs) Another one is the fact that the lottery was won by about 40,000 people who had prayed that they would win the lottery. And because they granted it, Everybody won the lottery, but guess what? They won a total of about $3 a piece. Because everybody had won it. And what that really underscores is this. 
what would happen if God gave us everything that we wanted? If He answered the prayers in the way we would like to have them answered? You see, I think, I think we get in ourselves in some theological deep waters if we read Matthew chapter 7 and we think that Jesus is offering a, a rubber stamp guarantee that whatever you ask, He's going to give to you in the way that you want it. See, because is that really a loving God if He just says yes to everything that you want? Parents, I want you to think about this for a moment. Are you a loving parent if every time your child wants something, you just give it to them? Sure. Why? I know you're only 10 years old, but you want to drive a car? Here's the keys right now. Go have fun. I've granted him what he wanted. But is that going to help him? Does that protect him? Does that keep him safe? You see, I struggle with this. I want you to know there are... A few questions that I have for God. One of the ones I'm going to ask Him is, how, how do you go about answering prayer? I mean, what does it really mean when you say, ask and it will be given to you? Because God, you know I asked. You were there. We had the conversation when I said, if you just let this happen, then everything would be okay. But you didn't make good on it. What does it mean when you have to wrestle with a God who says, I love you, but when you ask Him for something, He doesn't give it to you? You know, Charlie had no idea what what I was going to talk about this morning unless he read ahead, but he he surely couldn't have known. But even in his prayer, he he talked about the idea of that we, we, we seek answers out, but but we don't always have the answers. What does that mean for us? And what does that mean as we think about God? What does it really mean when we deal with a God who doesn't give us what we want? And pardon the expression, but let me ask you this. How do you deal with a God who disappoints you? How do we wrestle with that? When, when you know that if one minute factor, one tiny cell in your body had changed, one conversation had gone differently, things would be okay. And yet we're here wrestling and struggling with the mess that's left behind because of a word like cancer or divorce or heart attack. Or motor vehicle accident. What happens? And where is God when everything goes wrong? We have to be careful as we read Matthew chapter 7 verse 7. Because I don't want anyone to come to the conclusion that Jesus made a promise that He's going to give you everything that you want. At least not now. We forget. But God never does. We don't understand, but God always comprehends. And what we really need to get from this passage 
is something very simple, but in some ways so hard to understand. Don't ever think that because God chooses to act differently than the way we ask, does not mean that He lacks power or love. Jesus goes to give a few examples here, and Luke even adds a third one. Here he says, what, what if a, a son comes and asks for a fish? Would, would a father give him a stone? Certainly not. Luke goes even so far to say if he, he asked for an egg, would he give him a, a scorpion? Or if he asked for a fish, would, would he give him a snake? I actually read one commentary where they said, well, what kind of snake could this have been? Because there's, you know, these... I, you know, it doesn't matter. Because I don't know, snake is bad. Okay, just remember that. Snake is bad. I've been in in Sweetwater. Trust me. People gather around for the rattlesnake roundup. No matter how you look at it, there's no good snakes around. What Jesus is saying here is this. Listen, you think you're a good parent. Because when your son or daughter asks for something, an essential, you're willing to give it to them. But then you know what Jesus calls you after that? Poneros. Poneros. Evil. Did you miss that in there? Let me go, I want to go ahead and reread this so we don't miss it. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for, if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If then, though you are Poneros, evil... If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give to those who ask? This is what it's really about. This is not, I'm going to give you everything you want kind of statement. This is, I want you to know That no matter how good you are and how much you love your children, if you compare your love to your children with God's love for you, you are evil compared to just how much God loves you. That's what Jesus is really talking about. He says, don't get confused. Don't think that if God doesn't give you what you want, it means that He doesn't love you. Let me tell you this, that when you need something... God will take care of you. Now we have these small human brains that don't fully comprehend. Have you ever sat down and tried to figure out how long eternity is going to last? I've done it a few times. I I can't find a calculator that will keep going on and adding on and on and on. And God says, I promise you that my son will serve as a sacrifice. For all of you who call upon Him, who choose to live in Him, and all those zeros that keep going and going and going, that's the joy that I'm going to offer you, and it will never, ever end. But that doesn't mean that everything is going to happen the way we want it to right now. We're still left to deal with the mess and the heartache. But never forget this. In the same way that eternity will never end, nor will God's love for you. It never ends. It never stops.
Kirk has been a wonderful friend to me. Uh, and I love him dearly. Uh, and I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I've been struggling the last hour or so from hearing that. Just thinking, God, please. I don't know what it's going to take, but I, if there's anything... You know, I'm bartering with God. If there's anything that I can do, let you know, let's change something. And I know this. I know that there's one promise that God has made for Kirk's life that he's not going to back out on. He's not going to recant. He's not going to take away. And he said, my promise is this. My son's coming back for you. He died for you. He made that promise. And he's going to be good. This really happened. And I almost um, am afraid of sharing this with you. um, Because I I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Because I I want us to praise God when he answers the prayers the way we want him to. And I want us to praise God when he answers them the way we don't want them answered. But literally about a minute before I, I... came to, to up here, Jennifer showed me a text that came back that says, um, he's okay, he got airlifted in, and they think maybe it wasn't a heart attack. Uh, if, if his wife hadn't given CPR, he wouldn't have made it. But it looks like maybe a, a pacemaker and a few more things, and Kirk may be riding bikes again soon. And I, I, get, I, I, I praise God for that. And I want you to know this. You need to know this. If that text didn't come, if the call didn't come through, if the letter didn't make it, if God didn't come in and, and, and perform a miracle the way that we want Him to, the way that He didn't in your lives in some cases, that doesn't mean that we should stop praising God. You, you need to understand this. That even when things don't work out the way we want them to, we still have a faithful, loving God. And the most faithful and wonderful parent that you have compared to God is evil. That's just how great our God and His love is for you. I'm not going to pretend that you came here to celebrate this morning because some of you didn't. Some of you came in because you have to find yourselves here because you are broken and you're hurting and it's a dark time in your life. And I want you to know you've come to the right place because we celebrate a God who is still loving, who's still miraculous, and who still keeps His promises. For each one of you this morning, if you have found yourself in a dark place and you're hurting, let me urge you, call upon the Lord. And even if He doesn't answer the way you want to, just know He still hears and He loves and He cares. And He's right there with you. We have a God who loves us. A God who's for us. For those of you who've been in those dark places and you felt that God has called you out, maybe now is not a time where you need to get strength. Maybe now is a time where you just celebrate. 
And in a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And I want you to think about this. Maybe things going great in your life. Maybe, maybe you're here to sing and testify and witness to the greatness of God even through dark times and even through great times. And maybe you're just singing for the person beside you who can't sing, who needs to be reminded of God and His greatness. Each of you are witnesses to the greatness of God. If you're struggling in ways and and need help, we want you to know that that we're here to serve you and love you. Uh, This is not a rest home for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And we all come because Jesus is the cure. And we want you to know that you need His, His power and His love in your life. We're here to tell you that we need it too. And we want to love and support you and pray with you. Uh, Bob's already made his way towards the back in just a moment as we sing that song. He's going to head to the family life room. And if you need to meet with him in confidence and ask for prayers, we want you to know that he'll be there to pray for you, as will our elders and uh, the other members. If there's any way that we can help you this morning, if you would come as we stand and sing.